It's good to have you here this morning. Hopefully uh, you had a great, great last week. How many of you loved that we had our first snow? Look at that. Some snow lovers in the group. I know others of you were dreading it, fearful, driving super slow, getting your snow tires on already, that kind of thing. The rest of you, I'm glad that you uh, looked forward to it. Um, this morning, we are going to be in the book of Acts. If you would do me a favor, turn to Acts chapter 9 right now. And if you would, just, we'll just open right to it, jump right in. Uh, if you want to call it up on your phone or open to it in your book, uh, we will not put it on the screen this morning. We'll just go straight to uh, the passage here. Let me pray as we get started. And ask God to bless our time, and uh, then we'll dig into the Word. Now, this morning, um, we want to hear from you. We want you to be present in a way that's tangible. And even this week, um, as I was preparing, feeling distracted, and uh, help me not to be distracted now, help us as a community, not be distracted, but to be able to listen, to be able to hear your voice. God, give us uh, wisdom to know when it is you're speaking. Pray that the, the stories out of the book of Acts might transform our story. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I... Uh, almost forgot, really quick, this is going to sound like a really random question, is there a Martha in here, anywhere, Martha, okay, good, second service, we'll look for Martha, okay, totally random, like I told you, that had nothing to do with what I'm about to say, (laughs) trust me, okay, so Acts chapter 9, if you have it, look in the text. We are uh, looking at verses 1 through 25. Now some of you might be saying, well, we covered that last week. Yes, we did, and we're going to look at it again. So it says this, I'll just uh, go through the text quickly. Uh, right at the beginning, Saul's breathing threats and murder against the disciples is what it says. That's just a crazy sentence. Breathing threats and murder. And he's looking for anyone who belonged to the way, the text said. Which is pretty awesome when you think about it, that we are described as being a part of a journey, right? That we are on the way, that we are followers of someone. You get to verse 3, it says, He went on his way toward Damascus. In verse 4, Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying his name, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus went on to say, "Uh, It's me that you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And so that's what he did. He got up, he rose, uh, was led because he was blind with people to Damascus. And it says in verse 9, for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Verse 10, and there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarshish named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So Ananias said, no, I don't really want to do that. They had a little conversation. 
Um, then God went on to say, do it because Paul or Saul is my chosen instrument to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. And so they have this little interchange, verse 17, God wins again. So Ananias departed and entered the house and he laid hands on Saul who received a sight, received the Holy Spirit, was baptized. And then it says in verse 20, that immediately he began to proclaim the gospel in the synagogues. And then a little further down, he, verse 22, he increased in strength. He confounded the Jews. Verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates night and day in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. That is our text for this morning. We've been going over chapter 9 here, but we're looking at it again because as we were looking at it, one thing kind of stood out in the text above all other things in the text. Okay, Something bright and glaring if you look at the passage. So look at it really quick. Just glance at it. Take a visual of the page. Okay, The thing that happened in chapter 9 hasn't happened since chapter 1. So flip back to chapter 1 for a moment. Turning some pages or scrolling on your screen. We get to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Do you notice what happens in 1 through 11? Anyone? Jesus is speaking. We got some red letters, right? So we have these red letters, they're highlighted. Jesus is in Acts chapter 1, he's talking to the disciples. He gives them a command. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to go throughout the world. You're going to spread the gospel. Okay? Then what happens to Jesus? This is not a trick question. He leaves, right? He's not with the disciples anymore. Gone. Okay? Flip the next page. All black. Next page. All black. Next page. All black. Next page. Red. Why is that awkward? Because he's not there. Right? You tracking with me? So he's present. He speaks. Oh, that makes sense. Red letters. We go for quite a while. No red letters. Now we come to chapter 9. Red letters again. But he's not present, and yet he's still speaking. Unique. It should make us take a pause. It should make us also kind of flash back to times where God spoke in the past. So if you look at verse 4, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? If you have the correct flashback, you might go back to a passage in 1 Samuel. Does anyone remember what it says there? Samuel, Samuel. So it might make you refer back to another time in which Jesus is speaking. Another time where He catches the attention of someone. We're out of the blue, it's quiet, everything is the way it's supposed to be, and then suddenly God speaks and comes in and people hear Him. He's got a voice, it's audible, they catch it, they recognize it. And so maybe you flash back to this time where Samuel heard Jesus' voice. I've told some of you this before, I've had conversations with many of you about my uh, kids. And uh, my daughter, Carson, she's 14 now, 
But we used to have this little routine when she was little where we would uh, do bedtime stories. So this was quite a few years ago. It feels like just a couple days ago. But we'd flash back to these, these times where we would uh, remember hanging out. She would uh, just be so fun, joyful. And I remember this one particular Sunday, she came home from church. We were riding in the car, and at church, she had learned all about Samuel. She said the lesson was on Samuel, drew pictures about Samuel, and so the whole ride home, she's telling me about Samuel. And I'm asking her questions like, who was Samuel's mommy? Uh, Where did Samuel live? Where did he grow up? What did his life become? Uh, Who did he talk to? All those kinds of things, right? So we're having this long conversation, and uh, we get home, and a little bit later in the day, it's getting time for bed, and Carson calls me and says, uh, hey, Daddy, can we talk about Samuel again? And I said, sure. And she goes, well, let's, let's pretend. And we went into this like, little role play where she was like, let's pretend that you're God and I'm Samuel. And I'm like, man, I'll do that. Anytime, anytime you can be God with your kids, it works out great, right? So it doesn't come very often, but I, I had this moment where I got to pretend to be God. And so I put on my best like God voice and like, Samuel, Samuel. That's a pretty weak voice, but I, I tried. And I, I, I would say that, and Carson would echo back as we're like sitting there. She would echo back, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. So I would say it again, Samuel, Samuel. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And then because I was kind of taking advantage of my God role for a moment, I said, obey your mommy and daddy. I started like saying all these phrases to her that, that would hopefully kind of sink in, right? <laughs> and, uh, and as I'm doing this, as we're having this uh, interaction, as we're sharing these stories with one another and pretending, it kind of dawned on me that there are many times that I wished it was that easy to talk with God. That He would speak to me just like that. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like there was a time where you just wished so bad that God would just audibly communicate with you, or that He would somehow communicate a message to you? Because I've felt that way numerous times. Now before we go any further in the text, and before we go any further in the talk, I figure we need to get a couple things out in the open that we can all agree on, certain truths that I think are absolutely fundamentally true that determine whether or not God communicates with us. Okay, so here, real quick, we need to affirm these things or deny these things. The first one, pretty simple, God loves us. Can we get an amen there? All right, that actually is quite a staggering fact if you think about it. We've become so accustomed to just the idea that God loves us that it doesn't blow us away anymore. And yet God loves us. Okay, that's so true. The second thing we need to affirm is this, that God is relational. God is relational. Here's what I mean by that. Um, In John 14, Jesus says this, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My word, and My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. I mean, think about that. He's saying, if if you obey Me, if you follow Me, if we're in this relationship together, and you ask, I'm going to come and we're going to hang out. 
We're going to spend time. We're going to get to know each other. We're going to be relational. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. There's there very much this idea that God isn't just a God that loves at distance. This is a God that wants to relate. That wants to know us. Can we get an agreement on that? We're all in agreement. Excellent. Which leads to the next thing. Since God is relational, relationship includes communication. Relationship includes communication. There's a couple of verses that really speak to this idea. first one is in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus is saying, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You have this idea again of a communion with one another, a relationship with one another, but it's spurred on by anyone who hears my voice. A little bit later in John, we have this teaching, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. Now what's interesting about that passage, it doesn't say that the sheep, us, can hear his voice, or should hear His voice, but rather do hear His voice. There's this fundamental belief that God is speaking, not just back then, not just some time ago, but presently. Which should beg to make us ask the question, so if God wasn't just speaking back then, but He's also speaking today, if it wasn't just for the disciples at this time, and it wasn't just for Saul for a special occasion to change him into Paul. If he's still speaking and leading and guiding, if he is loving and relational and wants to communicate, then maybe the question is, why is there a disconnect? Maybe some of you just have a constant communication going back and forth, and it's great, but others of us, I would venture to say, probably feel at times that he's not speaking. Now we brush it aside with like, well, I mean, he speaks through his word. and So that's, yeah, that's true. It's the primary way in which he speaks. But I also think he speaks beyond that. So if it's not an issue of him speaking, maybe it's an issue of us listening. So I think listening is an interesting concept. It's an important concept because you can't really have communication if the other part, party isn't listening. But I think listening... There's a couple reasons why maybe it doesn't connect with us, or maybe why we might not hear the voice of God. I'm going to just suggest a couple. The first one is this. For some of us, it's just an issue of defiance. We actually don't want to listen. I think some of us would be in that boat. I know I was uh, in a conversation just a couple weeks ago with someone that communicated to me that they were angry with God. I'm angry at God, and I stopped listening. They're acknowledging that several months ago they just decided it's, I'm done listening. Now they're at this place now where they're beginning to go, I, I need to listen again. But so for some of us, maybe it's just this place of defiance and I'm, I'm not going to listen. For others of us, I think it really has to do with our perception of God. Our perception of God. For some of us, I'm going to suggest two things. For some of us, I think it's our perception of God is that 
is an issue of the size of our God, that maybe he's a little bit too small, that maybe he can communicate, but because he's so far out there, he can't quite voice it loud enough, and maybe we just can't quite hear it, or he can't interrupt our lives enough to be able to communicate it. And so maybe it's an issue of the size of our God. J.P. Phillips made this statement. It says this, The trouble with many people today is that they have not found a God big enough for modern needs. While their experience of life has grown in a score of directions, and their mental horizons have been expanded to the point of bewilderment by world events and by scientific discoveries, their ideas of God have remained largely static. Let me say that again. Their ideas of God have remained largely static. It is obviously impossible for an adult to worship the same conception or concept of God that exists in the mind of a child of Sunday school age unless he is prepared to deny his own experience of life. So I think for many of us, what we've done is we've somehow reduced the size of our God to the size that our minds can grasp. And we do that for several reasons. One is to be able to control them a little bit better. And two is because we've just kind of boxed them into this is who God is and this is the way God works. And so we were taught something a long time ago in Sunday school and we kept that version of God. And that version has continued to be our version of God. And our horizons in other areas have expanded, but our horizons of who He is might not have. So for some of us, maybe we're just walking around with too small a vision of who God is. For others, I'm going to suggest that maybe we haven't really thought that God is a God that continues to act the way that He did back then. So some of us read the Bible, and when we read it, we read it kind of like historically, or we read it like a textbook, or we read it like it's all about doctrine. But it's so much more. Dallas Willard makes this argument in one of his books where he talks about the idea that many of us don't experience the text or put ourselves in the place where we would feel what it is that the people present in the story feel. He says, he goes on to say this, we, do not genuinely, we will not genuinely be able to believe the Bible or find its contents to be real because we have no experiential substance to us. The Bible then becomes simply a book of doctrine and abstract truth about God, which one can search endlessly without encountering God Himself or hearing His voice. So we find ourselves reading the book, learning from the book, but not learning who He is. Relating to stories, but not necessarily relating to Him. And so we find ourselves perhaps at times, needing to be reminded of what it means to listen. Maybe being needed to be reminded of how it is he speaks. We find ourselves like Samuel, just kind of wondering, is he going to speak and in which ways will he speak? And I think Acts chapter 9 gives us a few little reminders of what, in what ways God speaks to us. So look again here at chapter 9. And what I want to do is just for a moment focus on Ananias. The first idea is that God speaks specifically. Okay, God speaks specifically. You find here in verse uh, 10, it says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. 
the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. The first thing that you should notice from that little interaction is that he's familiar with his voice, right? He doesn't go, who are you? He doesn't go, have we talked before? Have we spoken? He simply gets called Ananias and he goes, okay, Lord, I'm ready. I'm listening. Right? So there's definitely been some interaction between the two of them before. And we find in verse 11 that God speaks very specifically to him. He says this, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarshish named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of you, to, and you will come lay hands on him so that he might regain sight. So you have this little message from Jesus straight to Ananias, and it wasn't in generalities. It wasn't like when you hear sometimes people go, hey, I've got a message from God for you. God loves you. Yes, we know that. We're aware of that. But here what you see is a very specific kind of instruction. So you're going to go to this road, at this place, at this time, to this house, to see this person. He'll be praying when you get there, and you will do this, and this will be the result. Very specific. I mean, if you look throughout Scripture, very specific. Whenever God speaks to people, He tends to give detail. He doesn't go, hey, build a tabernacle. Good luck. But He's like, build it just like this and like this. Build the ark. Use wood. He doesn't just stop there. He describes it. If you want to listen for the voice of God, one of the things that you can do is begin to listen for the details. To listen to hear God speak specifically to you. Because that's what He does. I remember this one particular time. I'm in bed. It's late at night. And uh, I'm trying to fall asleep. And I kind of doze off. And then I'm startled awake. And as I do, God says to me, I want you to text your friend Ross, who lives in South Carolina, and I want you to tell him this. And he gave me this exact simple little phrase. So, I felt like an idiot. It's like 10.30 or 11 here. Three hour time change is like way later there. I text him, say, this is what I'm supposed to tell you. It makes no sense to me, but there you go. That's yours. He was still up having a conversation with his wife. They were praying. They were wrestling through some stuff together about their family. And they get that text at that moment that says that phrase, and they went, that, that's what we needed to hear. And then they put the phone down and they went to bed. It was like the very thing they were supposed to hear. It was so specific. It was so detailed. It was so unique just to them. That's when you know God's speaking. You can see clearly because He's personal. He's specific. He's not just general. Second thing is God speaks uniquely. God speaks uniquely. I think when we talk about God's communication with us, there's lots of ways we could talk about it. So sometimes we'll say things like He speaks in a powerful way or He's very gentle with us or He speaks in a loving way, 
or it's appropriate or it's wise or all of these kinds of words. But I think he also speaks in words that are quite different like surprising, unusual, miraculous, mysterious, extraordinary, or unique. That he speaks in these words that are like, this is coming from an amazing place in a peculiar way. If you think about the Scriptures and the times that God speaks to people, to us, here are some of the methods or the ways in which He does it. He speaks through fire and cloud. He speaks through the fleece of a sheep. He speaks through a donkey. He speaks through rainbows. He speaks through burning bushes. So the way in which he speaks is often unique, but what he says could be equally as unique. So think about these for a moment. He says to Noah, build an ark. It had never rained. Noah didn't know what it would look like. And he finds himself building this massive vessel in the middle of dry land with everyone mocking him. Sounds fun. And it took years. Unique. Or you find Abraham. Instruction to Abraham. Take your whole family, round them up, pick up all your belongings, all your livestock, everybody, and you're moving. Where are we going? I'll let you know. Just start. And so he starts, without even knowing the final destination. That's unique. Or Moses, Moses, I want you to go and speak to the most powerful man in the world, and I want you to tell him to let go of all of the slaves that are doing the manual labor that makes his kingdom very powerful. Go now. Again, awkward, surprising, unique. Gideon, another crazy one. I want you to go fight the Philistines. Round up the men. He gathers all these guys. Okay, that's too many. Let's cut it back. Let's keep cutting it back. Keep cutting it back. Keep cutting it back. Okay, now you got about 300 dudes. Go for it. Right? Weird. Random. You get to this passage with Ananias. And he says, Ananias, here's the deal. I want you to go speak to Saul. He kills Christians. And Ananias is like, uh, I'm a Christian? And I'm going to Saul. And Jesus is like, yep. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm telling you to do. It's unique. It's weird. It's different. I think another thing that's important for us to recognize is that when God is saying something, sometimes it may go against logic. Sometimes it may go against culture. Sometimes it might seem totally out there. He seems to speak uniquely. Just recently, I was in a a pretty urgent counseling session. It was about 10 at night, sitting around with some people, talking through a situation. And um, I'm sitting there, and I have no idea what to say. Like, no idea. I'm supposed to be the one leading the meeting. I'm supposed to be the one, like, making sure everything goes really smooth. I'm supposed to be the one kind of, like, bandaging everything together, right? And I'm sitting there, and there was like this moment of silence, and I'm going, 
God, I, I have no idea what to say. I'm clueless. And I was very aware in that moment that people will realize how dumb I am. They'll realize that I have not an idea what I'm saying. And so I'm sitting there praying, and I should have been praying for them, praying that God would like move in their life or that this situation would be resolved. And instead I'm praying for me, God, I am going to look like an idiot. Will you please give me something to say? Will you please do something in this situation? I used to spend, uh, when I was growing up, I used to spend time um, in these kind of situations. And when something great would come out of my mind and out of my mouth, and people would go, man, I didn't, wow, how did you, and I would sometimes go, yeah, I, I don't know, but I would almost take credit for it a little bit. I've started to realize that I have nothing really ever good comes out of my mouth, and I need to just give it completely to God all the time, right? So I'm sitting there going, I have no idea what to say, and I felt like God told me to say something that sounded really stupid, and so I waited for God to tell me something different. Because I'm like, it's got to sound at least somewhat good, right? Please. Like, not only am I already looking foolish because I'm sitting here quietly and don't know what to say, but now I'm going to look more foolish because I'm going to say something that just makes no sense at all. And nothing kept coming, nothing kept coming. Awkward silence lasted long enough, so I'm like, okay. And I said the really stupid thing, or what I thought was really stupid. And it was like, I put it out there, stepped away, waited. Nothing happened, and I'm like, okay, God. And then all of a sudden, everything changed. Everything in the whole room. It was unique, it was awkward, it was different. But it was God speaking. I think God speaks in awkward ways, and God moves in ways that are not according to our plan. Which leads to the third one. So God speaks specifically, He also speaks uniquely, but... Last, he speaks through interruptions. He speaks through interruptions. Now, a quick definition of an interruption. Interruption means to enter between, to break into, to break upon a person, to stop or hinder by breaking in, to break the uniformity or continuity of something. And in this passage, what you have is you have Saul whose life is being interrupted. He's going one direction and then he is going the other. You have Ananias whose life is interrupted. Then you have Paul who's ministry later on is interrupted. And see, God, I think, likes to interrupt us on a regular basis. Have you noticed that in your life? That He seems to interrupt on a pretty regular basis. Luke is familiar with this. In fact, Luke gives us the story of the Incarnation early on in his book, Luke Acts, right? And early on, he says this whole bit of information, more information than any other Gospel writer about the birth of Jesus. And he starts highlighting people in the story, right? You have Zacharias who is performing this priestly duty and all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord comes, he gives the wrong answer, and then he can't speak. While his wife at home is pregnant later on in life, her husband comes back after his priestly service. She's expecting her husband to come home normal. He comes home, he can't speak for the remainder of her pregnancy. Interruption. Then you have Mary, whose life is, seems to be on a great upward trend. Then all of a sudden, she's pregnant and yet a virgin. Interruption. Then comes Joseph, who had this beautiful, awesome fiancé, who's now pregnant and it's not his. Interruption. The, the shame, 
the, the feeling, the, the tension there. Then you go, okay, well, they're going to resolve it. They worked it out. Interruption. They have to travel in pregnancy. There's all these things that continue to interrupt the story that Jesus, in essence, is interruption. When He came, interruption happened all over the place. And maybe the voice of God wants to communicate to us, but all we hear are interruptions. Maybe God wants to communicate, but we just see interruptions as interruptions. We haven't developed what would be called a theology of holy interruptions. What I mean by that is recognizing moments in which you've been interrupted as moment in which God desires to speak. Or maybe, we'll talk about this next week, but between verse 22 and 23, if you look, glance at it really quick, it says, Paul increased in his strength and he began to communicate the Gospel. Verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Between verse 22 and verse 23, experts would say, and other portions of Scripture would allude to the idea, that Saul was gone for a few days, right? That few days is as short as three years and as many as 14. So between verse 22 and 23, picture in your mind either three years or 14 years before the story continues. That's an interruption. Maybe some of you just find yourself waiting. You're in this space where you're wishing God was going to tell you something. It feels like an interruption because it's just this silence, this pause. Keep waiting. Keep listening. Because it might be in those moments of interruption that He speaks most clearly. Because He speaks when it's unplanned. He speaks when it's unexpected. He speaks in the areas and we feel like He's maybe annoying our days or breaking into our situation. I remember um, when I lived in Indiana... My wife and I stayed in this, uh, this house right next to uh, what was a children's home. Children's home was for uh, students primarily in their teens, uh, maybe late elementary age, who uh, their parents could no longer take care of them. Uh, they weren't uh, wards of the state, but they were kind of like in this space in between. And so they would go and live with this host family, and there would be anywhere from like four to about 12 different kids living in this one home. And uh, so they had house parents that were there most of the time. And I lived right next door, Shannon and I. And um, I remember uh, quite often, two guys, Ernie and Shannon, would come over, knock on the door. I would be in the middle of study or in the middle of dinner or the middle of whatever. And they would knock on the door and they would want to know if I could come play. I'm going, well... There's all these reasons why I don't want to play, but let's play, right? And then there were times that I couldn't, but most of the times I figured the interruption was probably what I needed to do. Henry Nouwen made this statement a long time ago that I think is important for all of us to grasp, but very much for me, because see, I have these lists I want to get accomplished, these things that I want to get done, and so I see the interruption as an interruption. This is the plan. This is what... God wanted me to get done, and all of a sudden, Ernie and Shannon come over, and it's like, it's changed. And so, the quote is this, I used to think that interruptions got in the way of my work, 
until I realized that interruptions were my work. Some of us are waiting around for God to speak and maybe it's never occurred to us that He already is in the interruptions. In the people that come that you didn't want around, in the situation that kind of fell through, and the thing that God is teaching you in the midst of the chaos. So my question would be, where has God been interrupting you lately? Because where He's been interrupting you might be where He's speaking to you. The thing that He's overturning in your life might be the thing that's designed to get you to pause long enough to be able to hear Him. So I think all of us need those Samuel moments, those moments where we go, speak Lord for your servant is listening, but we're just wanting that to happen. And I think it does because God speaks specifically, He speaks uniquely, and then He speaks through our interruptions. So this week, as we're in group, let's talk about how's God speaking? How's the Spirit communicating to us? And are we listening? And what do we need to do to listen more? Let's pray.